Uh, Helen's going to read to us now. If you've got your Bibles, please turn and follow. Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is taken from 1 Kings, chapter 19, and we're going to be reading the first 14 verses if you want to follow in your own Bible. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went today's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand out in the mountain, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And we know that the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from Holy Scripture. Thank you. We have the opportunity to pray together now following God's word. Let's join together. Try to collect our thoughts for a moment. Does God 
speaks to us through his word. So may we come before him now and speak to him. Gracious Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for the uniqueness of a gathering of believing people. And we praise you that your living presence isn't limited to a special building, but where there is a heart seeking after you, you are there and you may be found. Sadly, O oh Lord, oftentimes we are not seeking after you. And you are the one who takes the initiative to come to us. And by your Holy Spirit you are doing it again. Would you help us as we open our lives to you? As we repent of our tendency to turn in on ourselves? Oftentimes, looking for other people to blame. Help us to stand before you with integrity and to admit our failures and our sinful tendencies. That in and through this, your grace comes to us and we have a fresh encounter. We thank you for your church in each place throughout this country, for your spirit equipping it with gifts and empowering your people to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And as we think of the missionary giving and we think of John and Abby who have left us and Tenebu and Bethan here today and others, we thank you for authentic Christian partnerships across national boundaries and languages. For those who have responded to your call. And Lord, we pray also that as we have opportunity in our own place, we think of Lighthouse tomorrow and some thousand children. It is an enormous opportunity, the day of grace that comes to a community like this. And for those who are leaders and helpers here, that you will give them wisdom beyond their natural ability. That many more young people and children and indeed parents will find the living Lord Jesus. And Lord, we do pray particularly for families who are in turmoil. Pray for the Andrews family again and ask your blessing upon them. Garrison them around, we pray. And give them exceptional courage and wisdom and strength. And Lord, it's hard for us when we pray like this. We think of that train crash in Spain, Santiago de Compostela, and almost those 78 people suddenly taken away 
And we think of those grieving families and communities meeting in many churches in Spain today. Ours is a very fragile world, O Lord. We often take so much for granted. Would you help us as we look on at the sorrows and tragedies of others that we would be thankful, grateful, worshipful. We pray for those who are this Friday and Saturday are to be married for Mark and Kate and for Sam and Hester. We pray for Hester today that you will renew her in body, mind and spirit. And may it be a real special day for the families and friends as well. Lord, we thank you for these unique occasions of high days and holy days that define relationships, that speak of authentic love that is human and divine. So as we come to you, we bring all these prayers and thank you once more for your grace and favour. Hear us as we come through our Lord Jesus. Amen. So this series begins with, under the heading of Burnout, Burnout and Grace. And let's see if we can uh, link these up together and it's part of this uh, series. Each one is complete in and of itself during the holiday time and yet there's a, a continuity with the word Grace. So for the next six weeks we are beginning and trying to see how various experiences in our lives are oftentimes mysteriously linked to God's grace. So this morning we're thinking about sad saints. Join the club. Sad saints. We put a question to you, just so that we get this into a sort of a bigger perspective for a moment. In your view, what would you imagine is the worst health issue facing the world today? It might be that you would say, and particularly where Tenabu and Bethan work, it, you might say malaria. Other parts of the world you might say AIDS. Or come closer to the Western world you might say heart disease. Or cancer. According to the World Health Organization and their rankings, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. It rates above the others, according to these stats which I want to give you. Just try to get a sense of perspective, first of all. Depression affecting 121 million people at any time and leading, these are the figures um, from the World Health, uh, leading to an estimated 850,000 suicides every year. That's a staggering statistic. So we this morning are going to think about this and try to draw from the scriptures and apply it to us just where we are today. According to these figures, they say it has reached endemic proportion and now come a bit closer those with a living Christian faith 
are not immune from this. Is it an exaggeration to say the church is full, or at the very least half full, of people who struggle and suffer in various forms from depression? People who have experienced God's grace and forgiveness as it's found in Jesus Christ and yet still have issues and may well do until their dying day on mental health. Now that's uh, some introduction to a sermon, isn't it? So we've got some sort of perspective, perfection. But here's the issue, pastorally perhaps. Why then is depression still so stigmatized among Christian people? If you're to have a friend who had diabetes and you prayed with them, you wouldn't necessarily be disappointed if they weren't healed of diabetes. And yet somehow, when we pray for somebody who's depressed, we think we failed if they are not happy ever after. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this, and it's not silent. And there's two issues here which we need to think about. First of all, there's the blame game. You either blame yourself or the people or the church or the leaders or you fill in the gap. Or it's the shame game. You turn in on yourself. You see the two. The blame game, the shame game. Both are very unhelpful. It still is something that we need to be much more open about. It may be the last frontier in terms of the stigma that depression has among Christian people and indeed within the church because we look for reasons and often the truth is there aren't any sometimes there are sometimes there are causes other times there aren't now we are looking at this classic example of Elijah let's look at this uh, keep your Bibles open because we're not going to flick too much and, uh, in uh, 1 Kings 19, and try to compare and contrast, see where we are. So, burnout, sad saints. Elijah gives us information and encouragement when it comes to think about this issue. He is a mighty prophet of God who turned the tide of idolatry in the whole of the history of Israel, with the prophets of Baal, you'll need to look at the backdrop to this. All we read from this morning was his response and reaction to it. He has these enc this encounter with the prophets of Baal. He, he experiences the mighty power of God. And you see then in 1 Kings 19, 1-3, Elijah now exhibits the classic signs of burnout, exhaustion, anxiety, fear, stress, and all the other adjectives that we might use. What you see from these uh, uh, opening verses is this. Four personalities, and of course, depression 
is exacerbated by people and sometimes helped by people. Four personalities play a role here in Elijah's depression and his road to recovery. You've got Ahab. He's a man of power. He's the king. But he is weak. Incredibly weak. You have Jezebel. A manipulator. And then you have this mighty prophet, Elijah, who is wrapped with fear. And the one person who is not so obvious is the sovereign Lord who is there with his unseen hand. So there you have it. That sets the scene. So stay with Elijah for some practical lessons on this whole issue of burnout. I want to give five headings. You may want to make a, a quick note of these as we go through them, because they, they're quite helpful to me, and I'm sure they will be to you. As you try to examine for a moment this whole issue of depression, that some of these things kick in with Elijah, and you make your own connection yourself. Let's go through these five uh, things very quickly. Number one, Elijah was not thinking clearly. He was not realistic in his thought pattern. And here he is. If you c compare him to on Mount Carmel, this mighty prophet of God who feared no one, now he wilts under the threat of Jezebel who had no authority whatsoever. Jezebel was an enemy of God, the advocate of idol worship. And it's a conflict of two views. And yet, in this stressful situation, Elijah forgets that God is sovereign. And he wilts under the pressure. He goes south. And he behaves in a way that is completely irrational. Look at verse 3. Elijah was afraid with this empty threat that came from Jezebel. She said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like one of them. He's a dead man walking, that's what he thinks. Elijah, verse 3, was afraid. So that's the first thing. He's not thinking clearly. And when we're not thinking clearly, we do things that are not helpful. And say them too. Secondly, look at this. Elijah had separated himself from the relationships that strengthened him. That's a tendency some of you do far too much. I can say that because I know you. You say that again. Elijah separated himself from relationships that strengthened Look at verse 3. He was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba and Judah, he left his servant there. The servant who had been with him stood by him. Now he goes it alone. He shouldn't do that. People need people, however demanding. So, you see, Elijah separates himself. Now, here's an interesting thing. Often a discouraged person, then and now, who wants to escape from relationships will start to feed on loneliness 
and the loneliness is insatiable. That's where he's at. Uh, I've got a cross-reference here in the book of Ecclesiastes. often used, I think, uh, perhaps in a limited way about marriage. But if you turn to Ecclesiastes 3, just to see this. What I'm illustrating here is this, that depression feeds on loneliness. In the book of Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9, it says this. Okay? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Often use of marriage, that's perfectly good, but it's in no way exclusive to that. Goes on to say this: If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls, and there's no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, we'll keep warm. But how can keep warm when alone? Now you see what they're saying here: the, the the intrinsic value of relationship in the totality of life. Of course, our society has sexualized everything, and you can't say that anymore. He separated himself from relationships, and depression was feeding on his loneliness. Thirdly, Elijah was caught in this classic aftermath of a great victory. It was a great triumph, a turning of the tide of the cause of, of the law of God, and the demise of idolatry. Now, I think you'll agree that sometimes people are extremely vulnerable and are taken off guard when they're caught in a sort of an anticlimax. I was talking to John Paul Davis about the British Lions when they came home and he was interviewing some of the players and he said, they have a problem at the moment, suffering from a terrible anticlimax. Sports people and personalities often struggle with this. And you know what? The media moved on in 24 hours, and yet they spent most of their lives for this great encounter. Life is like that. So here is Elijah, caught, and he's extremely vulnerable. He's caught off guard. Fourthly, Elijah was physically exhausted and emotionally Spent. Quite frankly, or put simply, he is running on empty. If you've had the experience in your car when the dial has come up and it's flashing, you know you need to do something. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck on the motorway or wherever you're going. And sometimes, spiritually, we are stuck. The tank is empty. We're not going anywhere. That's what Elijah was like. Physically exhausted, emotionally spent. Look at verse 4. So, he's very unwise, he goes out into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and he prayed that he might die. And it's very simple now. I am no longer better than my ancestors. Take my life. I want to go to sleep and not wake up. It's not too much to ask for. The world would be a better place without me. That's what he thinks. When the adrenaline has dried up, he was left physically and emotionally burnt out. You know, when that happens, our minds can play tricks on us. We see things in an exaggerated way. We think people don't like us. We think people are talking about us. And everything's out of perspective. It's a sort of 
an, an emotional nightmare. I remember talking to a very, very talented uh, young girl who dropped out of university and not any links with this church at all, nor her family. And um, I remember speaking to a very talented girl suffering terribly from depression. And I drew this circle. And she said, my life's a vicious circle. And I said, now look, there's this, 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 and this. doesn't really matter. The main thing is you break out. You break out. Whether it's a spiritual thing or a practical thing or an emotional thing, don't get locked in. He was physically exhausted. And fifthly and finally, Elijah had submitted to this insatiable beast of self-pity. What a great monster it is. So he prays, O Lord, take away my life. I am no better than my father's. He's right. He isn't better than his ancestors. But he feels like that. Almost got an over-inflated view of himself. Self-pity does that to you. Well, there you are. That sets the scene. Those are these five issues. I, I doubtless there may be others. But they're, they're pretty good landmarks when we think about our lives and the struggles that we face and the burnout or whatever term we use for this. The Lord could have come to him and said, Hold on, Elijah, who said you are better than your ancestors? You've got an overinflated view of yourself. Let God be the judge, not you or anybody else. But when we're depressed, it doesn't work like that. We know. Now at this point, we may be tempted to tell Elijah, You should know better. I mean, look at you. Look what you've done. Look what you've said. Look at the things you've preached. Look at the prophecies you've given. It would be easy to do that, wouldn't it? The Lord doesn't do that. You could see, you could say to him, look, get a grip. Sort yourself out. Now, the Lord's response is an interesting one. and uh, Let's look at um, three areas that the Lord worked in this context. Okay? Let's follow the sequence so that we can weave this into the narrative. Number one, what does the Lord do? He doesn't say to Elijah, look, you need to pray more. That would be a good thing for sure. He says, I want you to have refreshment and rest. Refreshment and rest. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. At once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Often thought about angels unawares. But God uses angels. He uses them still today. You could be an angel to a depressed person. If you take nothing else from this summer, take that. Be an angel for somebody who's depressed rather than be a critic. He lay down on the tree, fell asleep. And at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread Think about how in Long Trenton Baptist Church people, when people have been ill and so forth, there's been a list of people who provided meals at various times. I hope that isn't too spiritual for some of you. Or too practical. That's where it's about, isn't it? Refreshment and rest. And the Lord knows our needs better than us. And we really should trust him. 
and he still sends his angels. Are you one of them? I hope you are. If not, resolve to be one. And that means you're going to have to get involved outside of yourself. We are not machines. We are not robots. We need in life rhythm, recreation, and we need refreshment. This is one of the lovely things about holidays. But often there's a sting in the tail with holidays. The people who go on holidays were terribly stressed out, start quarrelling with each other. So they start saying, I hope none of us do that. Um, give each other space. Rest and refreshment. That's the first. Second, God communicates with Elijah. That's what he's doing to us this morning. His word is the most powerful way that he communicates. Look at verse 7 and 8. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too far for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He travelled forty days and forty nights and he, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So, refreshment. God communicates with Elijah. Now notice. The Lord doesn't give a rebuke or a command at this point. He does that sometimes, but not here. God asks him a question. He wants to open up a dialogue. He wants to open up the lines of communication. By the way, the lines of communication that are blocked solid by those five things that are going on in his life. And it's the flow of God's grace that does that. When communication breaks down, we are in trouble, aren't we? Whatever the relationship. And God gives Elijah a different perspective. A different perspective. Look at verse uh, 11 and 12. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is about to pass by. Now look at these tumultuous events. And notice how best, how best the Lord communicates. Look at this. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a gentle whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. And sometimes, you know, we are locked into the way God does things. And because he did that for me like that, he must do it for everybody else. That's Elijah's classic problem. But God deals with us uniquely and distinctively. Be great to see those momentous things. But the quiet, gentle whisper... That wasn't on his radar at all. He's not used to that. You see from his encounter in Mount Carmel, fire, power, noise, the demonstration. A gentle whisper wouldn't have impressed him. It does now. It does now. God communicates to Elijah. Gives Elijah a different perspective. And in verse 18, he gives Elijah an assurance of the future. Look at the, at the end of this narrative. He says, Elijah says, I'm the only one left. 
<laughs> says, you know, you wouldn't manage without me. Don't you realize what I'm doing for you? Look what I've done. A perspective. Verse 18. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him, or confessed that he is the Lord. Sense of perspective. Sometimes in church life we sort of have a narrow down view and we think of church only through our experience. It's not very helpful. God communicates with Elijah, gives him a different perspective and gives him an assurance of the future and he does it with a gentle whisper. With the cacophony of noise and turbulence, a still small voice. It's a big lesson, isn't it? Powerful lesson. We're so impressed with noise and tumult and so forth. And the third thing that God does is to give Elijah a close friend. One of the things we asked in our home group recently was, how many of us have an authentic confidant? I ask you that. You answer yourself. And if you haven't, why? Have you been so hurt that you don't trust people? You think you're self-sufficient, you don't need people? I don't think so. God gave Elijah a close friend. Look in verses 20 and 21. Just to see this. There's this lovely handing on. There's a new generation. It's the period of transition. They're always difficult. Granted. Verse 20 and 21. Verse 19 says, uh, So Elijah went and receives this call. Verse 20, Elijah then left his oxen. This is his living, his livelihood, and ran after Elijah. And he says, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come with you. And look how abrasive and awkward and angular. Would you like to have a friend like Elijah? Look what he says. He's so dismissive. And what have I done to you? See, he's still got this residue of a big chip on his shoulder. If God gives us people like that, let's take them to be a blessing. Church has angular, awkward, abrasive people. And he's doing something. Through all this turmoil, this depression and fear, now Elijah is beginning to get back on the rails. What an illustration when you think of that terrible accident in Spain. Think of the tragedy, not only uh, of, of individuals, but wider families when, the, when people's lives are off the rails. Well, you don't need a better illustration than that. But now he's back on track. And God's grace is still doing that to people today. He is still empowering, even though for sure we don't deserve it, transforming, even oftentimes when we don't like it. And renewing us because it is our greatest need. And for us as God's people, in place of guilt, He gives us grace. What a great exchange, isn't it? He said, I'll take your guilt. 
and here's my grace. What a great and gracious God we have. And in place of fear, where Elijah's life is shot through with fear, he gives grace. And in place of failure and self-pity, and it's all that he can say, I only I am left, and I don't know what you do without me. And in this sense of failure and self-pity, God brings amazing grace, and it is amazing. Now, of course, if we were to compare what life was like in Elijah's day and what they like in our day, well, they don't even, there is no comparison. But the issue is the same. And the way that God deals with us. So what's the practical application of this if it isn't obvious already? Let's just try to round this off by saying three things very briefly. The first is this, that you and I, when we think about this reading and think about our experiences, we need to capitalize on our community. We are a communal people. And one of the things about Western culture in particular is ravaged by individualism. And how impoverished we are because of it. Living in blissful, yeah, maybe prosperous isolation. It's a poor way to live. Capitalize on your community and don't isolate. The person who gets depressed often just disappears. Supporting someone with a mental illness is very hard, as some of you well know. And often, I would say to you, it's best done in a team. People can get burned out helping somebody who's burnt out. And it's a spiral. And one of the blessings of church life is this, that it is intrinsically communal, prayerful. It's best done as a team. And a church, for the most part, for all of its faults, and it has plenty, made up of you and I, and it's bound to. A church is a good place to care for people who succumb to depression in its various forms. Where people can share responsibility. No one person should bear that burden alone. It's too much. How practical Jesus was when he related to his disciples. We could learn a lot about interpersonal relationships. So that's the first thing. We're in a community. Thank God for that. Capitalize on your community. Don't isolate either yourself or the depressed person. Secondly, as best you can, know what you're looking for. But don't speculate. Don't speculate. You're not an expert. And even some of the experts, I remember having a phone call from a Harley Street specialist of almost 30 years who said to me about somebody who was ill, you know, I really don't know what's wrong with Mrs. So-and-so. That's quite extraordinary. A senior Harley Street consultant and also a Christian. If we don't know, don't speculate. It isn't helpful. 
and often it can be very harmful. Depression is often hard to spot either from the outside or from within. We often know we're not right, but we don't know. We just... Well, then don't speculate. It's not helpful. You mustn't blame yourself if you don't catch it in time. And lastly, be there. Be there. Sometimes that's all you need to do. Just be there. And oftentimes it's best if we don't say too much. Listen. And don't feel that you have to solve anything. Picture this with me. Oftentimes we are called to walk alongside someone in a difficult place. People sometimes use this word, I'm not in a good place. Would we say, well, then I'll, I'll join you. Or a dark place. We'll go together. And all that is required sometimes is somebody's presence. It's interesting in the book of Romans when Paul lays down the whole foundation of the Christian gospel, chapters 1 to 11, and then he comes to that great classic, therefore, that says, now, let's work it out. There's a great danger among evangelicals, particularly, is we stop there. And actually, we don't have in our lives a therefore. Be devoted to one another in Christian love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient with those in trouble. Contribute to God's people. Practice hospitality. That's it. That's it. I try to read that every time people come into membership because that's where we're about. And wouldn't it be a good thing for us as church members for all of us to get a grip on that? Bless those who persecute you. You know, people who don't agree with you start to isolate themselves, defend their position. It's rather pitiful and pathetic, isn't it? Let's agree to disagree, of course, but not break in relationship. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Grieve with those who grieve. Burnout. And juxtaposed with that is God's sustaining grace. And if you've gone there, have the courage. Have the courage to stand back. Not feel guilty by having rest and refreshment. Open up the lines of prayerful communication again. And take a risk, because all of life is a risk. All of life have a close friend somebody whom you can pray with somebody you can talk with and share your concerns and put it in the context of the community of God's people which is the church of Jesus Christ of which we are an integral part be open be receptive to God's grace it is quite amazing 
we take a moment to pray together. Lord, we thank you for the realism of your word, the honesty with which we can read it. We ask you that you would forgive us that we prejudge it, or we try to bring it down to our narrow perspective, or indeed we limit it to our own experience. Lord, we thank you that you surprise us as you encounter us in our need and as we experience fresh grace. And so, personally now, within our own families, with the concerns that we have for growing children or the challenge of elderly parents or the constraints at work and in community the misunderstandings in church life, the ghosts of the past that haunt us in the present. We think of all these things and much more, O Lord, and confess that we need you again. And we thank you that you come to us with fresh grace, with sweet forgiveness, and a new beginning. Lord, before we leave this building today, would you help us Guide us and lead us and help us to be receptive to that still, small voice. In a noisy world, may we be receptive to the moving of your Spirit. Lord, hear us now and all our unspoken prayers we pray. And we pray for the glory of your name. Amen.